Chapter 8, Preparing for Marriage In dealing with the topic of dating, we must remember that our intention is not merely to reach the state of marriage, but also to maintain a successful marriage. The time for a couple to start working towards achieving a happy married life is prior to marriage. That way, they can feel confident that they are entering matrimony on the right foot. Reb Shalom Brevda, a famous Talmud Chacham speaker and advisor, once shared with me an eye-opening story about the importance of preparing for marriage. While he was still a bacher, he knew a certain Talmud Chacham who seemed to be an outstanding expert in marital harmony. Rabbi Brevda decided that he would not get married until he can observe firsthand this man's conduct with his wife. He begged and pleaded with this rabbi until he was allowed to move into the rabbi's home and learn from his behavior and mentality. It was, very, it was a very rewarding experience, and Rabbi Brevda learned many important lessons. This is a beautiful example of the importance of establishing a study program in preparation for marriage. Kindness. The first and most important quality a person must develop to prepare for marriage is that of kindness, which includes generosity. Contrary to popular understanding, kindness is a trait that must be developed. And as with any endeavor in the world, there is an abstract knowledge of the subject, and there is also workshops and training programs that integrate this knowledge with our lives. A person can become very knowledgeable about medicine, but that is a very far cry from being a doctor. A doctor must study and practice what they call medical procedures. Similarly, in order to acquire the quality of kindness, a person has to do exercises. The following suggestions are not my own, but rather advice that I receive from Gedolim, Talmidei Chachamim, and other wise people. The first three suggestions I personally received from my Rebbe, Rebbe Vigda Miller, whom I visited for advice while preparing for my marriage. He suggested doing exercise number one on Sunday, number two on Monday, and number three on Tuesday, and repeating them once again consecutively for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Obviously, this program isn't just a preparation before marriage, but could and should be continued after marriage. Besides the beauty of the ideas, I cherish them for their sentimental value. Dispense happiness. Exercise 1. Pick an individual you know and spend a few minutes each day thinking about how you can contribute to their happiness. Even if this person has everything in the world, there still may be something you can do to make them happy. When you first start doing this exercise, your mind might go blank. What could you possibly do for them? But as you focus on the person's character and needs, ideas will come to you little by little. This is a great accomplishment. When you strain your mind to find something you can do to make another individual happy, you are generating a tremendous positive effect on your own soul and developing your potential to be kind and generous. Extend the helping hand. Exercise number two. Pick someone you know and think about how you can help them. What's the difference between this and the first exercise? Since by helping someone, you will certainly make them happy, the difference is that exercise one, the person may not have a care, worry, or problem. Nevertheless, we can make them happy. In exercise two, we focus on definite problems they have, something lacking, something difficult, something causing of anguish, which we attempt to resolve. For example, you may know an older bacher who needs help finding a wife. True, the first thing that might come to your mind is, who am I? I'm not a shatchan, I don't know people. I don't know any single girls, I have no contacts. Who can I help? How can I help this person? I'd love to help, but what can I do? But the truth is, if you really exert yourself and think as hard as you can, an idea might occur to you. Maybe you have an aunt in B'nai Barak who has contacts, and if she doesn't know anyone, maybe she has a friend, or a friend's friend. At first, you couldn't come up with anything at all to help this bacher, but by thinking about it, these new thoughts came into your head. 
This too has a great effect on developing your chesed muscles. Focus on a person's good qualities. Number three, it's very important to develop an appreciation of the good qualities of your prospective mate. One way to do this is by writing down six positive attributes that this person has. This can also be done by simply thinking about this person and picturing all their good traits. This too is a great exercise in developing a positive outlook and loving feeling towards people. Smile and be aware of facial expressions. Another suggestion, suggestion from G'daylum is to train yourself to smile at people throughout the course of the day. But this can be difficult even if you are a natural smiler because a smile is like the weather. It can blow this way or that. If you're in a good mood, you smile. If not, then you don't smile. We have to train ourselves to smile even if we're in a bad mood. It may be false, it may not be natural, but not everything we do is natural. Imagine that your best friend is getting married and you happen to be in a terrible mood on the day of the wedding. Are you gonna drag yourself around the wedding with a depressed look on your face? Probably not. You'll force yourself to put on an act. You'll dance, you'll sing with a happy expression on your face for the sake of your friend. It may be false, but you have to do it nevertheless. The same thing applies to a smile. Though they didn't always come from the heart, our facial expressions still give off signals and have a tremendous effect on people around us. This is especially true in marriage. A young man can come home after a hard day in yeshiva, tired and perhaps disappointed, because he worked so hard in understanding the Gemara, but not everything was clear. On the other side of the door, his wife is eagerly looking forward to seeing him. If he comes home depressed with a sour expression on his face, he will cause his wife great anguish. He must train himself to be conscious of his facial expressions and enter the house with a cheerful countenance. That is his Avodas Hashem at the minute. By making himself cheerful and upbeat when he enters his home, he will put a positive spin on the entire evening. The collective effect of those few moments each day on one's marriage is crucial and goes a long way towards setting the standard for peace and happiness in one's home. Rav Mordechai Shimshin, Shimon Weintraub, one of the giants of our generation, relatively not so well known, quoting a Hasidic source, says that even a false smile is imbued with holiness. The Chumash says that when Yaakov Avinu decided to leave the house of Laban, he told his wives, your father's face is not toward me as before. What he meant was, your father Lavan no longer smiles at me, so it's time for me to leave. But how did Yaakov Avinu know that Lavan's facial expression meant that he should depart? We know from Kabbalistic teachings that there were sparks of holiness captured by Lavan which were trapped on the side of impurity. Yaakov was trying to redeem these sparks of holiness. In order for a person to produce a smile, even a false smile, Kedusha has to be present. When Yaakov Avinu saw that Lovin's face had changed and Lovin couldn't produce even a fake smile, he knew that Yaakov had taken out every spark of holiness that there was, and he had finished his job and it was time to leave. The exercise here consists of smiling at people during the course of a day. It shouldn't be done in an exaggerated, silly way. Just be aware of your facial expressions and try to smile. It is known that many Gedolim used to practice smiling. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter used to practice in front of a mirror. He wanted to perfect a smile that was appealing and would make another person feel good. Pray for those in need. The next, the next suggestion regarding the quality of kindness is to accustom yourself to pray every day for those in need. Choose someone who needs something and daven for that person during the course of the day. If you are in the street and see a sign requesting prayer for a sick person, say a short prayer for that person. If you see or hear an ambulance driving by, daven that the person inside should attain a refuah shalema. This also applies to praying for others who may need a shirach. Sometimes you want to help someone, but you really don't know how, but at least you can pray for them. 
You may, for instance, know a yeshiva bacher who needs a chavrusa, pray that he finds a suitable learning partner. Basically, whatever the person need, needs could potentially be something that you can ask for of Hashem. Praying for someone else has a tremendous effect on your soul and develops within you a deep caring and concern for other people. This exercise is likewise beneficial in improving your awareness and upgrading the quality of your davening. Dispense your blessings with intent. Another item worth mentioning is to become aware of the many blessings that we give one another in the course of each day. Good morning, good night, mazel tov, yashakayach, gesundheit, all these are really blessings. The Gemara tells us that we should not take lightly the blessings of even a simple person. Quite obviously, our blessings have a potential to affect those around us. If someone says good Shabbos with the intention that the other person should really enjoy a Shabbos, then these words contain tremendous power, and their benefit is multiplied many times. You should say good morning in your natural way, but in your mind you should really be wishing the person a good morning. If he learns in kolal, you want him to be able to, be, to study well with insight and enthusiasm. If he's a businessman, you want him to prosper. If you know and believe that by your words you can really help the person without it costing you time or money, how can you not do it? This will help you develop sensitivity towards other people in a very deep way. Did you offend others? Often we say or do things that hurt people, or we fail to do things that would benefit people, simply because of the lack of thoughtfulness. Therefore, it's crucial that each night before you go to sleep, you should review your day and see whether you need any fine-tuning in these things in these things that you said or did in your relationship with others. This powerful tool can really expose the areas which we may, we may be lacking and cause harm to others. Daily introspection is an excellent practice that should be in, instituted in your program of self-improvement. Anticipating the future. The ability to see what's coming and is an important trait in overcoming many of life's trials, especially in the area of marriage. As the Mishnah on Pirkei says, who can we consider wise, one who can anticipate the development and the outcome of a situation? Think about all the possible problems that might arise in a new situation and prepare yourself for them. Usually there are two types of challenges that we encounter. Unexpected difficulties, which we can prepare for by constantly maintaining a high level of awareness and fear of Hashem, and the more prevalent changes that are usually predictable, either because of our past experiences or through logical deduction projecting the future. For example, if you have to deal with an individual who constantly loses his temper under stress, which brings out the worst in you, and leads to a chain reaction of hurtful and negative responses, the best thing for you to do is to avoid the whole situation by anticipating the attack and acting accordingly, by seeing what may come and all the heartaches and pain that can be avoided. A husband returns home at the end of the day. He has a wonderful day in yeshiva or at the office, and he's in a good mood. His wife, however, had a terrible day. The washing machine broke down, the oven stopped working in the middle of preparing supper, and she faced numerous difficulties and disappointments throughout the course of a day. By evening, she feels like a wreck. The husband walks into the home, and his wife makes antagonistic remarks to him. He answers her back, and before you know it, they're quarreling. What this husband should have said to himself before walking in the house is, it's possible I find my wife in a terrific mood, or she may be angry with me because she had a bad day. This happens sometimes. I understand that it's not her fault. If it happens, I'm not going to answer back. I'll try to be understanding. If a person would just take a few seconds of preparation before walking in the house, the chances of his standing up to the test would be much greater. And while there is no full guarantee that he won't lose his temper or get annoyed, he will have a much easier time exerting self-control and preparing himself in advance. Gratitude. The third point to work on is Akar Satov, gratitude. 
I'm convinced that when God created man and woman, he made gratitude one of the most important keys to their successful relationship, especially in regard to marriage. At one time, gratitude was, confusing, was a confusing issue to me because it seems to have many different aspects. I therefore spread the issue out on the table, so to speak, and have tried to carefully examine its components. To begin with, it seems to me that there are three components in feeling gratitude to another. Recognizing the good done to, to you, developing feelings of gratitude, repaying the person who did you the favor. Recognizing the good. It's impossible to appreciate a favor someone has done for you unless you fully recognize what has been done. If you don't think about it, even an extraordinary kindness can go unnoticed. There are six main elements in learning to appreciate the good. 1. The importance of the favor of the recipient to the recipient. 2. How much effort was required of the giver. 3. The quality of the favor, of the goods and materials given, or of the act performed. 4. How much the recipient actually benefited. 5. To what degree the benefactor is doing the favor on his own volition. 6. The intent of the benefactor. Let's look a little more closely at these favors. Number 1. The importance of the favor. Clearly, when one receives something of special value, the level of gratitude rises. For example, if you're in the need of medication that's not easily available and someone gives it to you, you're bound to show a high degree of gratitude. As the importance of the favor decreases, so does the intensity of gratitude. Number two, the effort of the giver. The amount of effort exerted by the benefactor is also bound to affect the degree of gratitude one should feel. If someone makes a tremendous effort to arrange a date for you, it's obvious that you owe him a large debt of gratitude, regardless of the outcome. People are very often callous about this matter. Usually, it is the successful shachan who receive all, receives all the thanks and admiration. But when a matchmaker is unsuccessful, pe people tend to overlook all his efforts, including hours of his valuable time, numerous phone calls, aggravation, and heartache. He gambled and lost is the common attitude. But I also have no individuals who give a shachan a gift for his efforts, regardless of the outcome. I think this is an appropriate and beautiful gesture. Number three, the quality of the favor. Sometimes you need a place to stay in a strange town and someone arranges for you to stay at a five-star hotel with all expenses paid. It may be unnecessary, but it's very thoughtful and must be appreciated. Number four, the recipient's gain. Sometimes a small act on the part of someone, else's, someone else results in a large gain for the recipient. For example, correcting a wrong address on an envelope doesn't take much effort, but when that letter brings in a very large donation to an organization, the gain is substantial. From the perspective of the gain, the obligation of gratitude is great. Number five, the amount deserved. Sometimes the benefactor receives monetary compensation. He could be a salaried worker or a doctor who receives a fee. Nevertheless, we owe a gratitude, and all the more so if the act was done voluntarily. Number six, intent. We are obligated to show gratitude for the goodness bestowed upon us. Even if the giver didn't intend to do us a favor, we owe gratitude to our parents without examining their intentions for bringing us into this world. On the other hand, as the level of good intentions rises, so does our obligation to show gratitude. In considering the importance of this issue, one should keep at his fingertips the six key factors. Importance, effort, quality, gain, deserving, and intent. Developing feelings of gratitude. Even though Hashem implanted within men and women the natural ability to feel gratitude, it's necessary for us to cultivate and develop these feelings. 
It's really unbelievable that a person may acknowledge the value of the favor he received, how much he needed it, how hard the other person worked on his behalf, and how little he deserved it, yet he may still not have a feeling of gratitude. Once in a while, a person gets an, an idea of gratitude he owes his parents when he recalls how dedicated they were, the sleepless nights, the bottles, the diapers, the crying, night after night, for years. It's overwhelming. Why does a person feel this gratitude more? Why doesn't this person feel gratitude more often? Because unless you work on developing it, it's likely that you won't feel it. Now apply this to a spouse. Men are very often lacking in gratitude towards their wives. It's a deal, they say, a partnership. I do my job, she does hers. I learn, she works. That's what will bring her reward. She's lucky to be married me, to me. But if a person stops to think for a moment, this is absurd. Does this talented, healthy, and resourceful young lady suddenly have to become his slave? It is amazing when you think of everything a wife does for her husband. She buys the food, she cooks it, never serves the same thing twice in a row, does the laundry, washes, dries, irons, folds, takes care of the house, looks nice for her husband. The list goes on and on. Maybe one day he will be a great Torah scholar and she will have the merit of being his helpmate. But in the meantime, he's just a spoiled 20-year-old who thinks everything is coming to him without question. If a person were to contemplate upon this, even for a moment, he would realize how much gratitude he owes his wife for everything that she does for him. Repaying the favor. The third component of gratitude, repaying the good that was done to you, is an essential sign of your appreciation. This is manifest in three ways. Through thought, speech, and action. We can go further and see the repaying fall into these three categories. Sometimes the favors are paid in an active way and sometimes in a passive way, which we will explain. Repayment may be immediate or over an extended period of time. Sometimes the favors are paid to the benefactor and sometimes his extended family. Gratitude in thought means cultivating feelings of appreciation towards a person for the good that they have done for you. It means liking them or loving them and regarding them positively. This itself will lead you to pay them back because your positive feelings towards them will affect everything you do with them. It will also reflect in your readiness to judge them favorably, even when they do an injustice. It's easier for you to overcome your negative feelings towards them because of the favor they did. Even in a small situation where you don't have to judge them favorably, you will still go to great lengths to do so. And even if you can't judge them favorably, you will still forgive them because of the gratitude you feel. These are a few ways to reward a benefactor and show them gratitude through thought. Showing gratitude through speech has two aspects. One, get into the habit of voicing brief expressions and appreciation frequently. Make sure you thank your wife for all the different things that she does. If she sews your button back on your shirt, she deserves to be thanked for this. Don't take it for granted. Number two, there are times when it's appropriate to be more elaborate in expressing feelings of gratitude for the good that a person does for you. Sit down and tell your wife how much you appreciate everything that she does. A phenomenon that has puzzled me and which I have invested a lot of time and energy to understand is the difficulty many men have in expressing gratitude to their wives. This seems to be a general widespread problem and can affect even those who truly understand, recognize, and feel the full extent of gratitude they owe to their wives. Nevertheless, they are faced with a difficulty in expressing their gratitude. A person should do their best to make an effort to do it. The third way of expressing gratitude is through actions, doing things to make the other person happy. 
These can be small things, like buying flowers, or even a major expression of thanks, such as an expensive gift, or helping your wife around the house, which the husband should do anyway, but sometimes does as a show of gratitude. It is extremely important for a person to think of ways to make his spouse happy. This is connected with considering other people's needs and what makes them happy. Sometimes it's important when giving a gift to make your gratitude known to the recipient, because the main thing is the emotions that accompany the gift. Many times, a person gives a gift only because he feels he has to, but it doesn't really come from the heart. The wife can sense this, but at least if the husband says something, it can make a difference. Another form of gratitude can be called passive. This may be seen in the readiness of a person to diffuse an argument. Sometimes a person quarrels with his spouse and thinks of something really hurtful to say. Then he thinks of how much he really owes her for everything she's done for him, and he keeps silent and even apologizes. Even though he still feels that he is right, he holds himself back because of his gratitude. Sometimes, depending upon the importance of the favor, it's appropriate for the recipient's entire family to show gratitude to the family of the benefactor. At times, this obligation may even extend over many generations, even after the death of the benefactor himself. Self-awareness. We now come to the fourth area that a person should work on to prepare himself for marriage. This is a very important item, though not so pleasant to speak about. Before entering matrimony, a person must make a sincere examination of his character to determine if he has any basic character flaws, and if he does, he should try to correct them. The individual should speak to someone who knows him well, a mashkiach or a shiva or even a psychologist. Years ago, I couldn't have made this last suggestion. At that time, almost all psychologists were anti-religious, and the first thing they did was attack Yiddishkeit, which they claim was the source of all orthodox personal mental problems. Today, thank God, there are professional therapists who are B'nai Torah who do things according to Das Torah, and it's permissible to consult with them. Very often, a person who needs psychological help imagines that the solution to all his problems in life is getting married. He enters matrimony already disturbed, and things quickly become catastrophic. Everyone has problems that they have to resolve in order to reach perfection, and not every problem will interfere with marriage. I'm talking about problems that are beyond the realm of normal behavior. The following are several examples of types of issues I'm referring to. This list is not definitive, but only presents some common afflictions and difficulties that people have. While not always appearing so serious, they really need to be dealt with. Depression. Most people have days when they feel down. However, serious depression that makes a person almost unable to function is an abnormality that must be treated. Today, there are many things that can be done to remedy the situation, such as counseling or even medication. The main thing is to find the source of the problem and work on it. Don't think that marriage is the answer and that your spouse is going to make you happy every time you get depressed. If a person falls into deep depression, he must seek help. He must not ignore this condition. Fears and anxieties. Another type of affliction that strikes people are fears and anxieties. This also has to be worked on, and many methods and solutions are available today that were not present years ago. A person who has this problem should seek help, and thus avoid many difficulties he may otherwise had in life. I know a person who has terrible anxiety attack every time he was called upon for an aliyah. He had an overwhelming fear of standing before a large group of spectators. There were times when the synagogue officials even called for an ambulance because they thought he was having a heart attack. But in fact, he was only having an anxiety attack. It's very important to deal with this problem when one is single because marriage may compound the problem. 
inferior complex. Many people walk around at one time or another with feeling of low self-esteem, which is normal. However, there are times when feeling of inferiority afflict a person to such an extent that it becomes an abnormality and it must be dealt with. Making friends. Sometimes a bachar has certain problems that often lead to him having very few friends. He wants to get married because he wants companionship of a certain young lady. Often there's something wrong with his behavior that makes it difficult for Bachram to be his friend. He doesn't realize this, and he thinks when he gets married he will have a friend locked up in his house and he won't have any problems. Not having friends can be symptomatic of a bad character traits he may have, or a psychological problem that needs to be worked out. This Bachar doesn't try to deal with his problems, but thinks marriage will automatically solve them. Very often, Bachram are lonely, and they seek marriage to escape their problems. But if their loneliness is due to other problems, they will only be taking their problems along with them into marriage, and will continue to have them there. So it's very beneficial to resolve problems before marriage. Anger. This is a very serious problem. Most of us lose our, our temper every once in a while. If only we could lose it so that it would never come back. However, there is a great difference between someone who occasionally flares up and a person who loses control of himself completely, to the point where he can even do others physical harm. This problem destroys relationships and can create terrible wounds in a marriage. If a person sees that his anger is extreme, he should definitely seek help. Obsessive compulsive behavior. This is the professional term for a disorder that's very often misunderstood. It manifests in exaggerated, obsessive behaviors. Sometimes we see people doing odd things. One of the most common examples is a yeshiva, in a yeshiva is the area of washing hands. An obsessive person will wash his hands over and over, five or ten times. He washes his hands, dries them, washes them again. People maybe think he's very strict in religious observance, and the person may think so himself. Or sometimes you hear someone overdoing it when he recites Kriyashma. Again, this might not be piety, but a case of this disorder. People may tell a person like this that he is too strict, that he should relax. But when a person has an obsessive-compulsive disorder, all the musr in the world will not help him. It has nothing to do with his religiousness or fear of God. It's a mental disorder and has to be dealt with. If not, it can wreak havoc in a marriage. Fortunately, there are marvelous cures for this. I know people who had this problem and went for help. Today, they have beautiful families and successful marriages. It's very important to note that sometimes the normal practicing and observing of real piety may be done in a way that is out of proportion and completely exaggerated. In these cases, when receiving correction and direction from a revered and respected posseg, the individual can be helped and the situation can be rectified, since the person isn't really an obsessive-compulsive case. Antagonism toward kindness. Some people have a pronounced dislike for act of kindness. Any act of kindness annoys them, and they themselves avoid doing such an act. Similarly, a person may not notice he is extremely ex excessively stingy, or jealous of others, or resentful of any good character traits. When this situation seems extreme, he should suspect that there is some kind of disorder that needs looking into. Study. The fifth item on our marriage preparation list is very simple. Read the manual. If you bought an expensive computer, you wouldn't dream of using it without knowing how it works. Marriage follows the same principle. You have to learn how it functions. Today, we have a whole array of books written by Gedolim, an expert on the important topic. If you're wondering why we have to read these books if people didn't read them years ago, the answer is very simple. 
Years ago, people learned from practical wisdom passed down from generation to generation. We have lost that today to a large degree. Also in the past, most people who wrote such books were anti-religious, secular people who attacked the foundation of our faith and observance. But we do have a wonderful selection of books in, by serious religious people, and we can learn from them. Anyone who's preparing for marriage should get a hold of these books and study them. Other Problems in Marriage The last topic on our list is not really a suggestion, but an attempt to understand the terrible state of marriages in the world today and the great prevalence of divorce. The situation in contemporary society is dismal, with a high divorce rate. Unfortunately, the same problem is creeping into the Torah world as well. Everyone knows at least one tragic story of an unsuccessful marriage. Rabshama Brevda once made a wry comment on the prevalence of this problem. He said that a few years ago, a typical late-night scene would have a number of young men sitting around discussing their dating life. A, sub- a subject they shouldn't be discussing, as we mentioned earlier, but they were doing it anyway. One says, Oh, Saralea, I went out with her two weeks ago. She's a wonderful girl, but not for me. Another boy says, I went out with Hannah. She has a good sense of humor. Maybe she's good for so-and-so. They go back and forth discussing their dates. Today, though, the scene would be slightly different. The same boy would be sitting around the same table, and it would sound like this. One boy says, Oh, Sarlea, I was married to her two weeks ago, but it didn't work out. And another says, I was married to her three weeks ago. She's nice, but she doesn't know how to cook. Another says, Hannah knows how to cook. I was married to her three weeks ago. Maybe she's good for so-and-so. This is how bad the situation is getting. What is the cause of this epidemic? Everyone has an opinion. I've collected here a number of points that seem to me to be the major cause of marriage problems. I discuss them here because I think that if we can identify problems that cause unhappy marriages, then we have also found areas to work on before marriage. Even each of these problems deserves serious study and contemplation. Derecheretz. There are certain rules of respect and courtesy that one human must show another, and these are known as derecheretz. When God creates the world and the human race, he created rules as to how people should treat one another. Derecheretz precedes Torah. Before you can have Torah, you have to be a human being, a mensch. Derecheretz tells a person how to be a human being. In our generation, a lot of rules of derecheretz have been forgotten. People don't know how to talk to one another in a way that's courteous and respectful. When we look at history, we see even during wartime, whenever there was an official contact between two enemy generals, they related to each other with derecheretz. Not only must the idea of derecheretz be renewed, we must work to put it into practice. Proper training in fulfilling the laws of derecheretz is essential. One example of how practicing derecheretz can help a marriage is when situations arise that cause us to lose our temper and say the wrong things. At those times, the only thing that may hold us back is the authority of derecheretz. One must train to follow the laws of derecheretz until they become ingrained in one's character and behavior patterns. Reverence. This refers to respect for another human being. People have forgotten the importance of human beings and the high esteem and appreciation that each person deserves. But if a person doesn't understand what a human being is, how can he understand his spouse? In the Slobodka Yeshiva, they spoke of greatness of man for 40 years. From this, it's obvious that in order to do justice of this subject, it would take a great amount of study and inquiry. It is too great an undertaking for us here, and I am just mentioning it as a matter which may cause problems in marriage. Awareness of the presence of Hashem. The topic here concerns a lack of Yerushalayim. 
This is one of those essential ingredients that enables people to coexist. Even though it sounds like this trait relates mainly to man's relationship with Hashem, I believe it also, also has a profound effect on how each person relates to each other. When you feel the presence of Hashem in your life, when you realize He's watching you and has certain expectations of you, you gain a greater motivation to do what's right. Being aware that Hashem is listening to us raises our levels of conduct. This basic belief of Klal Yisrael has always had a tremendous impact on our actions and behaviors, and is especially important to develop in the context of marriage. Conversely, the lack of Yerushimayim has a negative effect on married life. Seeing the good. Another problem is the inability to recognize and appreciate another person's good traits. It takes special training and a lot of work to learn to recognize and appreciate the outstanding traits of other people. One reason people have marital problems is because they are unable to appreciate their spouse. Gratitude. Another problem is lack of gratitude. This is a reason for a lack of success in marriage. Benefits. In general, many people do not appreciate the benefits they stand to gain from marriage, and therefore, they are not motivated to make the changes that will make their marriage a success. Since they don't properly appreciate it, they develop a very lax attitude. Easy come, easy go. In our time, marriage has become a cheap commodity that one does not have to sacrifice for. But marriage is a beautiful institution in the plan of Hashem. We need to work hard to appreciate the many benefits of married life, both those which are obvious to us and those more so, those which are less obvious. Lack of feelings. Another factor responsible for the overall decay in human relationships be it in our relationship with people or with Hashem, or in the context of marriage, is a kind of emotional anemia. Years ago, for example, men and women would cry openly at funerals. Today, from the look on people's faces, you wouldn't know why they were there. They could spend time talking about, the biz- about business. This reflects a tremendous insensitivity. It's written that at the time of redemption, Hashem will take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. This heart of stone is our lack of feeling, and the negative effect it can have on one's marriage is obvious. Refusing to get help. Another problem is people's unwillingness to seek help. Some people don't look for advice, while other people think they are looking for it, but are only doing so at a superficial level. Unfortunately, the objection to seeking advice is often the result of too much false pride. Chaval, chaval. Sometimes there can be a cultural problem. Many English-speaking people have been instilled with the belief that one doesn't seek the help of a counselor unless the situation is absolutely desperate. Also a great shame. However, seeking advice is a very normal thing. Just as there are problems, there are people that can help you with them. Many problems are easily solved, though when left unresolved, they can grow into major difficulties. This takes its toll on a marriage. It's important while a person is still single to seek out rabbis or mashkiach who are expert counselors. They are not always easy to find, but don't give up. Ask around until you find someone that you, personally, can relate to. Being self-centered. People's thoughts, concerns, and attentions focus on themselves, consciously and subconsciously. This obviously causes a callousness in being considerate to a spouse's needs. This is an age-old problem. However, in our present generation, it's even more accurate. I'm sure you will find my list incomplete, and you will find your own subjects to add to it whatever they are, though the most important thing is to seriously attempt to correct these character flaws, and with the help of Hashem, may all of us be successful in finding the right spouse and true happiness in a marriage.